to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to continue this study in the book of John and looking at who is this Jesus that we speak so much about. I don't know about you guys, but I love Jesus because he first loved me. Amen. John chapter 8, we read a, a passage of scripture that uh, some, some interpreters of scripture, some people who compiled scriptures way back when, when they were doing some uh, canonical analysis of what should be scripture and what shouldn't be under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, uh, some interpreters left this passage of scripture out. And the reason is because they felt, as St. Augustine said, that these were very weak interpreters who had no faith in God, and they felt that in this story that Jesus was being light on adultery. But what we know and what we see today is that Jesus is the author of salvation, and let the church say amen to that. He is the one that can forgive, redeem, and restore people to where they need to be. And that's the story we read today. Uh, a lot of interpretations of scripture when we read this, you know, some people say, well, why would Jesus be so nonchalant about a woman who was living in adultery? Why would he just bend down and ride in the dirt? But I'll tell you guys something today that Jesus Christ approaches every single human being that's ever breathed with the same message of salvation. And so we must trust him today. That's the Jesus I serve. He's the one I can shout at the top of my lungs. Great are you, Lord. Look at John chapter 8. We're going to start there this morning, starting with verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and they sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, they just keep coming at him, don't they? You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered them, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me 
bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Father, I thank you that you impressed on, on men's hearts to include this into the canon of Scripture, that today we can, we can be blessed by this story. We see a, a clear definition as to who Christ is. He is the author of our salvation. Lord, I have no doubt that this account, that this story influenced the writers of the, in the epistles, that it influenced the, the teachers of the early church. God, it influences us today to be a people who preach a Jesus who brings salvation to mankind in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. You know, we're, we're coming up on the time of Easter. And it's during these times that we celebrate resurrection, don't we? Now, honestly, the church, we celebrate every Sunday morning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, but we take this time in the, in the spring to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In a lot of ways, we come together with family, we hunt Easter eggs. Some may even stray from the Lord and partake of this abomination known as peeps. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They're an abomination before the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say amen. (laughs) I'll get a split decision on that one, I'm sure. I'm not a fan of peeps, but I am a fan of Jesus. I'm a fan of Christ. He's a lot more substantial than a sugar-coated marshmallow that comes around once a year and haunts us. I'm sure my disgust of peeps probably goes back to when I was a kid. Mom can probably attest to this. I probably ate too many of them. I think the ones I find most disgusting are the blue ones. But Christmas and different holidays like that, we tie things to these symbols. For some, they tie Easter to Easter eggs. They tie Easter to peeps. God help them. But today, I want us to tie Easter as we go into this time of, of year. We, we think about the true meaning of Easter. And the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus came and died for you and I and rose again, proving victoriously who he is. And there's salvation for, for man if they will just believe. There is life for us if we just believe. Jesus goes to this mountain. I think it's interesting because it says that everybody went to their own homes, right? But where did Jesus go? He goes to the mountain. Well, for one reason, he didn't have a house. (laughs) But he went to the place that he created, the Mount of Olives. There's some significance here. I think when Jesus goes to this mountain, I mean, we know that Jesus often stepped aside and and was alone in solitude, in prayer. We, We see it throughout the Gospels. The significance of Christ going to the Mount of Olives is is far reaching. Christ often left, as we know, to be in solitude. He went places that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we just, we, maybe we would like to go there. I can't think of a better place I'd want to go than the Mount of Olives. Maybe one day I'll get to go to Israel. I'll go, get to go outside of Jerusalem there and to see this beautiful mount. But there's some significance to this mount. It's not just a place of solitude. I mean, the thoughts of the creator on this mount, it must have been thoughts of happiness and sadness. There were great things that happened around this mount. There, there were sad things that happened there too. He must have been happy in the fact of why he came so that people might be saved. He also must have been sad on the account that 
He had to come because of the sin in our lives, because of our rebellion against him. Well, he went to that mount. The Mount of Olives, I'm not sure if you, if, if you know a lot about the mount, but I kind of just did some flipping back through Scripture. What are some occurrences that happened on this mount that might tie to why Jesus was there? Well, the Mount of Olives, for one, was a place of prayer. People for centuries had went to the Mount of Olives to pray. I can relate to that. I can't find a, a better place to pray sometimes than under an old cedar tree hunting a turkey, you know? That's a great place to pray. And not just, Lord, please send me a big bearded turkey. That's not, that's not the only prayer I pray, right? But those, those times of solitude, I, I'm thinking about the times that I've been in the woods, and, and Jet, we've experienced this several times when you're out in the woods and you begin to hear the world wake up from darkness. You know, the first little sound you hear most of the time is a crickets. They, they don't leave you alone. But there's crickets out there, but, but you hear the hoot of an owl. Then all of a sudden, the crows start waking up, and those turkeys start gobbling, and then all the little songbirds start doing their thing. And you see the world wake up before you. What a beautiful place to pray. Jesus goes to the wild to pray. But the Mount of Olives was also a place of burial. There were countless bodies buried in this hill. Some may say, well, that was a little bit morbid to go there and pray. But I can't think of a better place for the one who's going to resurrect the elects the one who's going to resurrect the ones who have been redeemed. I can't think of a better place for Jesus to pray than at the Mount of Olives. That he's going to pray because I believe he knew one day that that mountain was going to bust open. People were going to come out. One day we will see that. I often say at funerals, the one place I want to be when my Lord returns is at a graveyard, (laughs) at a cemetery. How cool would it be to be at the Mount of Olives when Christ returns? Because not only are people going to come up, but he's also going to come down. They tell us that that mountain's going to split in Scripture. The significance is, is, is very beautiful when you think about it. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of burial. And here we see on this mountain is the answer to everything. Jesus. He's the one we pray to. Amen? And he's the one that's going to raise us up once again. In the Old Testament, we read where David ascended the mountain, and he was crying. I don't know if you guys remember that story. You can mark it, 2 Samuel 15, we see where David ascends the Mount of Olives and he's crying. He's crying because his son Absalom is trying to kill him. He's crying because of brokenness in his family. He's crying because of his own sin, the things that he had brought upon himself, truly. But but he's crying on that mountain. King Solomon, the, the one he was to follow, he had altars. Check this out. The godly King Solomon. He had altars built to the the Amorite and the Moabite gods of his wives. But praise be to God on that same hill where all these idols were erected to the honor of other gods, King Josiah comes along and what does he do? He destroys all of those altars and idols on those high places. Some beautiful history to the Mount of Olives. A lot of stuff's happened on that mount. And we know that It's coming when Jesus will go up on that mountain. He'll look at Jerusalem. He'll say, oh, Jerusalem, and he'll cry. He'll cry for the the fallenness of man. He'll cry for what's coming. He'll cry that, that some of these people will not come to him. And we see that in the story here. Jesus, I believe, has, has compassion in his voice as he's speaking to these, to these, these Pharisees. I read through it. It it tears me up to think that Jesus has to tell them a hard truth. And he says, you don't know me and you don't know where I'm going. That's a final thought, isn't it? 
Like I believe Jesus knew what they were going to choose and what they were going to do. And he tells them, you, you don't know. You don't know me and you're not going to follow. You're following after yourselves. Jesus weeps, I believe, today over the lost in McLeod, Oklahoma. He weeps over you and I that may fight in a rebellion, even in our Christianity. We, we keep the blessing. We keep the, the, the good stuff that God wants to give us in this life. The power that is in the gospel, we hold it back and God's like, let it loose, right? Remember when Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he tells him to do something to that guy. If you look at the story, it's an interesting story because here he is in the tomb, right? Oh, Lazarus. And it says, there's only one reason Jesus would say, loose him and let him go. He must have come out like this, you know? Or like this, I don't know. I was always going to kind of imagine it like as a mumping, right? It'd make it kind of cool looking. But Jesus says, loose this man and let him go. And I believe that in the same way, the truth that lies within us, a lot of us have bound it up because we're too scared to share it and we just don't care. Today, God calls us to be a people who, who become loosed and let go. That's where we need to be today. That's the Jesus that we serve. You know, in a few weeks when we celebrate uh, Maundy Thursday, Jesus goes to the base of this mount, to a place called Gethsemane. And he prays with his disciples and is in this place where he's also betrayed. He's in this place where he's turned over to the Roman officials. It's to this place where the, the trial begins. It's, it's this place that, that is that breaking point where he goes to the cross and he suffers in such a way that people said they couldn't even recognize him as a man. But at the base of that mountain, he sang and he prayed with his disciples. Well, he prayed for a while. Some of them fell asleep, didn't they? It's on this mount that Jesus will ascend. And it's also on this mount where Jesus will return. Jesus goes to this mountain. His thoughts must have been running so many ways. All the stuff that had happened, all the stuff that will happen, all the stuff that's going to happen. Jesus knew, right? Jesus knew the hearts of these Pharisaical men. He knew, he knew like what they were dealing with. And he knew that some of them would sadly never choose. She's reading through this passage. I, I see a word that pops out to me. Maybe, maybe not actually in the, the reading there, but a, a definition as to who Jesus is. And I see the word author that pops out time and time again. You see a Jesus who's in control of this situation, don't we? The whole passage of scripture ends up with, well, they sought to arrest him, but what? It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Sometimes we think that Jesus is not in control in these stories. Even when he goes to Calvary, we think, well, man, he's, you know, he's gotten beat by mankind. He laid himself down for mankind. He's that author. When you hear that passage of scripture, you know, in the, in the epistles that he's the author of our salvation, right? The author and perfecter of our salvation. When you read that, what I want you to think about today is that he authored even going to the cross. He was in control even at that moment. He was writing this story so that people might be saved. This prevailing theme that we see in the book of John, and in this passage in particular, is that Jesus is in control. And I don't know about you guys, but I think we crave to have things in control. We don't like chaos. Now, we may think that we like chaos sometimes, like peeps. We may think we like those things. But honestly, if we're driving down the road, we want our tires to stay on right? When we come to church, we don't want people fighting. We, we, like, we like things to be good, right? 
we don't want to, we don't want to do this, that, and we don't want to, you know, we, we crave that. And I think if we were, if we really are honest with ourselves, after reading this passage of scripture, we see that Jesus is the one that sustains and he authors peace in the lives of people. He can bring it all to peace, can't he? We sang that this morning. But this author of peace, guys, I, I want you to understand, he is the author of our salvation today. And if I was to break it in, I got four points this morning. I'm a four, four point Baptist today, all right? Um, I mean, a three or three or five. Today I'm four, so I'm a four-point Baptist, whatever that means. Look at this first one. Jesus is what? He's the author of forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8 where it says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now, let me read it for you. Romans 8, 1. You can mark it there in your words or in your, in your notes. There is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. And in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so what Christ came to do, it wasn't just some, you know, fulfill some kind of prophecy necessarily. It wasn't just in a fulfilling of a prophecy or just saying, well, I went there. I mean, have you ever went somewhere on vacation just to say you went there? Several years ago, we went to a place that I'm sure most of us here have heard of, out there in the Old West, right? Now, out in the Old West, we went to a place called Tombstone. We went walking down Main Street in Tombstone. You know, I was, I was wired up for about 45 minutes one day. It's pretty cool. But sometimes we go, and I, honestly, when I went to Tombstone, I really wasn't that impressed with it. I'm like, this is it? You know, it's a bunch of old buildings and a saloon. Some reenactors every now and then. There was Boot Hill. There was all that. I mean, sure, it was kind of cool, but... I wouldn't necessarily want to live in Tombstone. Jesus didn't just come just to say, well, I went to earth. But he came to bring forgiveness. If we're ever, if we're ever just wondering, what is all this about? What is the work of the church about? What is the work of Southern Baptists about? What is the work of Annie Armstrong? Why, why do we do that? It's so that people can experience forgiveness. That's the reason why. And the heart of Jesus here is that he's the author of forgiveness. There's no one else in history that has ever offered forgiveness for all mankind. Even the greatest king, if he's going to forgive someone, he's going to have something that he wants in return. But all Jesus wants, he, he's, he's not asking. We, we couldn't pay him back anyways, could we? Out of his deep, convicting love for you and I today, we have forgiveness. He's the author of forgiveness. He's, that's who he is. And in Romans, we read that, that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. He offers forgiveness. He offers redemption to those who believe. I don't want to start the, the altar call too early this morning, whether you're here today or you're listening later. But have you been redeemed? And church, if you have been redeemed, then shouldn't we behave like redeemed people? I think the answer is yes, don't you? If you're lost today, come and know Christ. Hear that call of the Holy Spirit upon your life. You know, it's not the call of Daniel. I've read books, you know, the perfect altar call. I've read books like that, you know, and they're just, they don't really say anything because honestly, people are drawn to God by God, right? 
Not by Daniel, but yeah, sure, there's things maybe I could say that kind of lead people or guide people to thinking and, and, and seeking after God, absolutely. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit of God that calls people to him. Why? Because he's that altar of forgiveness. He's the one that has given us that option. The second thing I would say we look at today uh, out of this, uh, he's an author of lights. And not just light, but he's the author of the lights. There may be lights in this world, right? You may see lights. You're driving down the road. You see a light. You come into Oklahoma City, you see a light. Joni and I were driving into Oklahoma City last night in uh, the Devon Towers, right? So like there's a point on I-40 when you're driving that you can't see anything else about Oklahoma City, but you can see the Devon Towers. And the sun was just so that the little crooked spots, you know, it's supposed to look like a drill bit or whatever. There's that one piece that's like this, and the sun was hitting it, and it looked like a light just shining right back at us. It pointed us in the direction that we needed to go. But honestly, the sun that was hitting that building was also warming our planet. That sun was giving us direction. I didn't have to have my headlights on. You know, we're driving, we can see, we're living. But I want you to think about this in this sense, that Jesus is the lights. He's not just a lights. You may flip a light on when you go into the, uh, the bathroom or you go into the living room or wherever. You may do that. But when we, when we think about this, Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the world. Just think about that for a moment. You know, there in, in those verses, Jesus even, he proclaims himself. He says, I am the light of what? The world. That is, it's significant. Why would Jesus say that? You know, I mean, we can agree to it and it sounds cool and all of that, but Jesus actually proclaims that he is the light of the world. And I believe one reason he proclaims it to this crowd is because these people were walking around in the darkness and they didn't know anything. They were lost. He says, I'm the lights. He comes into the room and he lights up the room and there's, there's the ability to know God around Jesus. Same as it is today. You get around Jesus and you can know God. If you follow Jesus, you can know God. But these people, instead, they, they, they would rather get over here in the shadows and to live in the darkness. They would rather live that way than to, to know the author of lights. Now Christ, he's the author of light. And today I encourage you, you know, that as you're, as you're seeking Christ, sure, understand he's the one that's illuminating things. I would have never ended up in McLeod, Oklahoma, if it wasn't for the light of Jesus pointing the way. Truly this morning, you wouldn't be sitting in our in our service, if Christ hadn't led you here. I believe that. Even if you don't want to be here this morning, I believe Christ has led you here to hear the word of God. And I can remember being a kid, and there were sometimes I didn't want to go to church, Mom. I know that shocks you, but there were times that I would rather not have been in church. I'd rather be you know, doing something else, playing basketball or whatever. You know, being a gangster, because I was a hardcore gangster back in the 90s, you know, but I wasn't. But the light of the world, it shows us. He shows us where, where we need to go. It's, it's significant that Christ tells these people this. And I believe the church today, we need to remember that he's the light of the world. There's too many of us that are walking around. We just don't know what's coming next. We just walk around blindly. We're like, well, whatever happens. We kind of fly around by the seat of our pants, and yet Christ is here, and he's saying, here, follow me. Follow me. I'm the light of the world. And not only does he offer forgiveness, but guys, he offers us the way. He offers us to know the way. Today, you can know the will of God. Today, you can know which direction to go. And it doesn't matter today if you're five years old in this place or you're 95 years old in this place. God is, he's the light of the world and he can show us the way. 
Jesus is trying to tell these people with his whole heart, guys, I'm the light of the world. And they, they like, really, they refuse to do it. I mean, you understand Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And as you read through that passage, as you read through the rest of the book of John, these Pharisees continue to come after Jesus, trying to trick him, trying to, trying to throw him into a position where they can arrest him or kill him. And finally it happens, but it only happens when the light says, all right, green light, let's go. Let's go. It's time. Jesus is that light. And I believe if Jesus is the light, then don't you think we should walk in like manner? If Jesus is the light and Christ resides within us, so to speak, then the world ought to know that we're there. The world ought to know that you and I exist. They ought to know that there's something different about us. And I don't mean just that, you know, you dress a certain way, that you like a certain type of music, that you, you know, you, you don't do this and you do this. People ought to know we're Christians because we're proclaiming the gospel. That's the reason. That's the way. We ought to be known for, for telling people about Jesus, even people that may cross us. Dwight Moody said this. He says, we are told to let our light shine. Everybody say amen. We are told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody at all. I like this. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. <laughs> Church, it's time that we shine. You know, your, your one needs to see you shining. Your neighbors need to see you shining. Your coworkers need to see you shining. Are we going to shine perfectly? Nope. We're not always going to be perfect. Actually, we're never going to be perfect. But we serve a God who is perfect. We serve a God who is the author of forgiveness, and he's the author of of light. Today, we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because there's no confusion there. There's no confusion. Sometimes I'll come up here at church at night, which by the way, churches are really creepy at night. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense, but they are. You don't believe me, leave the lights off and go upstairs and walk around for about two minutes. You'll be glad there's a restroom up there. Churches are just kind of weird at night. I've grew, grown up in the church, you know? I mean, my dad was a pastor, so there was, there was times. I mean, dad even had a, an instance where, uh, I don't even know how legal this was, but they were to have a funeral the next day, and he goes over there to check the church, as pastors do. He goes to the church and checks it, and he, he's hitting this, this door, and it won't open, and he finally he just pushes the door enough and looks around the corner, and there is a casket with a dead body in it. I'm pretty sure that's not legal. You know, the funeral home's not supposed to do that, but they did. And I'm sure that was pretty creepy for my dad. But as you come to church, I mean, I, I encourage you, come to this place at night, not to be scared, but try to get around this place. Because sometimes I'll come up here and I'm just like, I don't want to turn the lights on. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do it myself. Now trip, right? I hit something. Something happens. Instead of just turning on the light and walking in, in confidence, you know, a lot of us are doing the same thing spiritually with our lives. We're doing this kind of thing. When God's like, open your eyes, I'm the light, follow me. You can see where to go in this life. You can have confidence in your salvation. You can have confidence in what comes next. I'm getting the opportunity, good Lord willing, Jesse and I both, to go to a place called Turkey. And is it the safest place on earth? No. But you know what I do know about Turkey? It's that there are people that don't know Jesus Christ there. And what I know in my heart of hearts is, is the Lord is leading us in that direction to, do, to go and to evangelize to the lost there. In Turkey, it was known as a Christian nation at one point, and now it is like non-Christian at all. Praise be to God, they're not necessarily legally against Christians. And so we can go there and proclaim the gospel. But my prayer, and you guys be praying with us, that 
there would be a revival that starts not just here in McLeod, but also in Turkey. People need to know Jesus. I mean, do you realize, we say, well, that's Turkey. And some people may even say, well, they're, they're Muslims. They deserve it or whatever. I, I've got family. I've got friends that just, they look at Islam and they just have no compassion for them. Church, we ought to have compassion for the lost. We ought to be concerned that there's a whole country over there that doesn't know Jesus. A whole country that, even though they may have amazing coffee, they don't know the Lord of Lords. They know him as a prophet. They know him maybe even as a priest, but they don't know him as Savior. Today, we need to be a people who aren't hiding our lights. Because lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their light. They just shine. We need to be a shining people today. The the, the other point I want us to look at this morning is this author of, of not just lights, but he's also the author of life. And I know that sounds very similar, but it's, it's very different. Because when you follow him, you find what? Life. He's that author of life. And I know there's so many of us in here today, we've been on a beach, we've been on a vacation, and we're like, man, I'd just like to stay here. I would like to never go home. Because this is the life. But even beaches have storms. Even beaches have jellyfish that shock you. Jellyfish are the peeps of the sea. I've been shocked several times by jellyfish. We may think that that's the perfect place, that that's a life. But guys, here's the thing. Life only comes in knowing Jesus. Jesus is the life. We know from Scripture, and we know from our own testimony, that at one time we were all dead in the trespasses of our sin, and that life is out of our power. We can't make our own life, can we? We can't create life. I can't create the perfect life for Daniel. But there's one who can. It's Jesus. Because Jesus is life. And the light shows me that. And because of forgiveness, I'm able to follow the light, and now I'm able to, to experience life. I don't worry about going to hell, do you? I mean, seriously, a lot of y'all are going to say, nope, I ain't worried about hell. But I'm saying that's a good question that some of us need to answer. Because in the heart of hearts of a lot of people, they say, you know what, I do worry about it. But we know that if we've been saved, that there's what? No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We can walk in the sure, sure salvation that God has given us. He's the author of life. As sure as Christ has given physical life to all things, he has also given spiritual life to those who believe. And if I could say one thing to the church today, and I hear it a lot, I go to pastor's conferences and I went to one this past week and they were you know, pumping us up to preach in specific ways and to do this and do that. And for as good as it was, what it really comes down to is that people need to realize that Jesus is the author of life. And the church needs to act like it. We need to get past the point that we, we, we say, well, I'm all burnout. Do you think Jesus was not burnout when he went to the cross, the Calvary? That he had to carry his own cross? And so many in the church today say, well, I'm too busy. Don't you think Jesus had other things to do but to come and to endure heat and pain and death? And yeah, we think we're some other class, but, you know, we're not, we don't have to give up anything at all. But he's the author of life. And he's given us that power to live a life that is victorious. And what the church needs today is a life. Wednesday nights we've been studying about revival and what to do for revival. And I'm not talking about calling in Brother Jim Bob Turner from, you know, Podunk America to come up here and preach for a week. And we all just sit there and go, amen. 
I'm talking about a real revival in our hearts where we leave this place and we can't think about anything else but Jesus Christ himself. We can't think about anything else but how the fact is is that there will be people in this world who die and go to hell and they never know Jesus Christ. That ought to be an all-consuming passion with us as the church. And I think if we really are following the author of life, then we want to we, we be a part of that work in this planet. That the life is going to shine through us. And we're thankful today that Christ is the giver of that, that life to all who will believe. The last thing I would want us to look at this morning is he's author of righteousness. This is significant. I, I was really thinking about this. I really debated on putting this in there because it's a fourth point, but we're going to go through it, all right? Three sounds so good, all right? But here's four. He's the author of righteousness. That's significant. When you, when you look at this, this passage of Scripture, let's go back there. I've kind of skipped around a little bit. But when you look at the, that last verse is there, verse 16, let's start there. It says, yet even if I do judge, they just told him, hey, you know, who are you? You judge according to the flesh. Jesus says, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, he says, this is Jesus speaking, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is what? True. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. The judgment of God, the judgment of Jesus is not something that's just mean. You may go to court and you were speeding or something like that or whatever, and the judge rules against you and you think, well, that's not fair. Well, maybe it wasn't fair. Maybe he should have been lenient. Maybe, you know, wrong, wrong convictions happen. We know that. But when Jesus makes a judgment, it is made from a heart of purity. It is made from a righteous heart. And Jesus is that author of righteousness. What the world needs is what? Righteousness, right? It needs Jesus, yeah, man. But it needs righteousness. As we look at the world today, is there anything that's really fair? I look at a lot of stuff. It just doesn't seem fair. You know? We could, we could talk about taxes, right? I don't want to get, like, all political. But, you know, there's that argument. Well, uh, some people pay taxes and some people don't. I mean, is it fair that multi-million dollar companies don't have to pay taxes? Is that fair? There's a multi-millionaire in here that's going, yeah, it's fair. And if you are, we would like to see your tithe today, too, right? There's a lot of stuff in this world that's not fair. You know? Joni and I were driving into Oklahoma City yesterday, and I see a little sign on the side of the road. And it says, congestion, stalled traffic ahead, or something like that. You know, it's this little sign. So I'm like, well, I'm going to get off early. So I get off early in, in uh, Midwest City. We just take side roads. and I'm driving by, and I see all these people just sitting in traffic. You know, people hitting their steering wheel. And I'm like, ha-ha. You know, I'm laughing at them because I'm, you know, I'm cruising down 29th Street, right? They're probably saying, well, that's not fair. Why do those people get to drive? Set through softball tournaments yesterday, and there's some terrible calls sometimes. I'm like, well, that's not fair. You call, you call the same pitch twice, one time a strike and one time a ball. That's not fair. Be consistent, ref. I may have said that. Then I repented. You may look at Ukraine and say, well, that's not fair that their children are being blown to pieces because of a tyrant. It's not fair. There's a lot of stuff in this world not fair, but one thing we can say about Jesus is that he is fair because he comes from our righteous hearts. If there's any judgment or if there's anything I preach from the word of God today that may seem unfair to you, I want you to understand that this comes from the heart of God. This is the God-inspired, God-breathed word of God. 
This is his word to you and I today. It's not just a history book. It's not just something to be revered. It's something to live by. It comes from the righteousness of God. Jesus is the author of righteousness. What the world needs is righteousness. And so if I was to just be a a simple man and do the arithmetic here, so to speak, I should be a person that follows Jesus so that righteousness prevails in the world. It's the same reason we want to go to Turkey. It's not fair that those people don't know Jesus. It's not fair that society has made Christianity illegal. So let's go and tell them about Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let's go and be a part of that movement over there. Wouldn't it be cool if like prayers of McLeod First Baptist Church and, and maybe this becomes something when we go over there several times over the years, you know, and we take multiple groups over there to evangelize. Wouldn't it be cool that a, a revival starts not just in McLeod, but then that revival in McLeod spreads to Turkey and that whole nation becomes a nation that fears God. And we say, well, that would be really cool, but for some reason, we just we forget the author of salvation. We forget that he's calling us to this very work, to go and to evangelize, to go and to make disciples, to go and to baptize. That's our command, is it not? Because he's the author of righteousness, of life, of light. He's the author of forgiveness. As we go into this time of Easter, may we remember what the Easter season is really about. It's about Christ forgiving us. It's about him loving us. You may not be an emotional person, but if I, I was going to say, if, if you don't cry during Easter, then something's wrong. But if you don't, if you don't feel the pain of Jesus during Easter, there is something wrong. If you don't think about that, we're uh, some new stuff, maybe not new, but stuff. It's new to me because this is my first Holy Week here. We're going to have a Monday Thursday service with Lord's Supper, and we're going to remember the suffering of Christ, the betrayal of Christ. That Friday, this building will be open. We invite you to come up here and just spend time in prayer. We'll have two, two services on Easter Sunday morning, starting at 8 o'clock, the first service, followed by a, a bread of life breakfast because I like to eat, Sunday school, and then our second service. You guys will hear more about this as we go. But all of this is not just to say, well, it's, it's a different time of year, so we need to have more services and different types of services. Every bit of it is based on the fact of who Jesus is. It's not based on Daniel. It's not based on my tradition. It's not based on this church tradition. I met with leadership, and I've met with some of you just over the last few weeks. Like, what do you guys normally do during Holy Week? What do you normally do on Easter? What do you do on Palm Sunday? And everybody was just kind of like, well, what do you want to do, Pastor? And I'm like, that's not why I came to you. I wanted to know what we do because I want to, I want to continue what's normal for us and maybe look at things that aren't normal for us. But the reason we do it's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of God, that God is glorified in our community. Easter Sunday morning, now catch this vision with me. Easter Sunday morning ought to be filled with us in here and our families, sure. But catch this vision with me. Easter Sunday morning, this place ought to be filled with sinners to hear the message of the gospel. As should every Sunday. Church needs to be the lights. I know I'm stepping on toes. I'm stepping on mine too. But the church needs to be the light today because Christ is the light. And if he's the light and we're in the light, then we're going to shine like a light. And people are going to know we're a light. And people are going to be drawn to the light. And people will become the light because they follow the light. One day we'll be in a place where there is no sun because Jesus is the light. It's a beautiful call, isn't it? Judgment of God is 
It's not like other judgments. It's righteous. It flows from a righteous perspective. We would do well today to trust in that righteous judgment of a righteous God. And to do otherwise today is a path to death. I think this is true. And I don't think it's us here. I see God doing great stuff here. So don't think I'm like picking on you. But if it hits you, I'm picking on you, okay? But if we're dying spiritually, individually, or as a church, or ministries, or whatever, like I see it in America. I believe America is dying spiritually if it's not already dead in a lot of ways. And the reason is because we negate the fact of who Jesus is. We've redefined Jesus. The Mormons have a definition of Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a je- definition of Jesus. You know, they say stuff like he was the brother of Satan, right? He was this, he was that. Uh, Muhammad had a definition of Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He just didn't have the right definition of Jesus. And you and I today have this opportunity to hear a definition of Jesus. What are we going to do? What's the application here? We read earlier Psalm 14. And I, I did not plan this, by the way. But Psalm 14, verse 1 says what? Well, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. What was Friday? Fool's Day, right? April Fool's Day. It's the national holiday for atheists, right? We know that. I know you've heard preachers preach that joke because it's so clever. <laughs> you know, we think that's so funny. We'll get everybody to laugh on that one. But I didn't plan this. Uh, Eileen will tell you, I, play, we, I just threw a bunch of verses at her like probably 10 weeks ago. and said, hey, here's what we're preaching on or whatever. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's anyone who understands, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Luke Bryan's got it wrong. There's no good people in this world. There's no one good but God. There's no one who who does good but God himself. And so we must look to God, the author of of our salvation. The psalmist, he wraps up the whole passage there. He's talking about, you know, what's going on in in the world. There's no one that's good and there's only one that's good. He ends it up with these words. He says, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. You know what he's talking about here? Jesus, Messiah. Out of Zion will rise the salvation for all mankind. This Jesus I speak of today, he's not just a historical figure. He's not just someone that, you know, we say we love. We don't just wear shirts that say, you know, some catchy slogan, but Jesus is actually our life. He's our light. He is our righteousness, and Jesus is the author of our salvation. There's truly no one who does good, so we've got to get closer to Jesus. If there's, if there's truly no one that does good, then what does the church need to do today? What program do we need to focus on? I would say this needs to be the program for our church, and it's not that we're not doing good things already, but it's, it's applicable to all people of all levels of Christianity. We need to be a church that's getting closer and closer to Jesus. There's a song that came out a few years ago. It said, uh, you know, we need Jesus now more than ever. And I heard a preacher preach about it one time. He's like, well, we've always needed Jesus, you know. There's always that preacher who likes to just criticize things, right? 
We got a we got a whole denomination of preachers that want to sit and just criticize each other. That's the one fault I see in Southern Baptist life. We got a bunch of preachers doing this at each other when they ought to be doing this and preaching the gospel. We've got too good a news to spread. But I remember a few years ago that guy preached against that song. Well, we've always needed Jesus. We don't need him now more than ever. Yeah, we do need in your personal life every day you need him more. Because here's what happens. We think, well, I, I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. I'm good. No, you need him now more than you ever did. You need Christ now more than you ever did because he is that author of of salvation and righteousness. That's what we need in our lives today. And there's no one who does good. There's only Jesus that does good. And Jesus is the only author. There's no other author in this world. I got to go hear Erwin Lutzer this week, which is super cool because that's what our, our, our young couples group, we're reading through this book by Erwin Lutzer. And I got to see that man in person, you know? I got to shake his hand. I wish I'd got a selfie with him. What a good man of God he is. And for all the books that he's authored, there's only one author that matters, and that's Jesus. All others are just uninformed commentary, and that's it. There's a lot of stuff in this world today that we may look to. But I got to ask you a question. And this applies. Don't, Don't be like, well, this is the altar call, so I'm saved. I don't have to listen to these words. I want you to listen to these words. You listen to these words, I'm going to make you eat a peep after this service, okay? Hear these words. Answer this question in your heart. Do you know this Jesus, or is he just a sterile religious figure to you? Answer that question with your heart. Do you know him? Or is he just sterile? It's just kind of like, yeah, it's Jesus. You know, like you would say, oh, that's George Washington. You know? Have you experienced the feeling of new life and the knowledge? of a sure salvation? Have you experienced that? If you haven't today, I want you to know you can. You can experience new life. You can know what it means to have a sure salvation in your life. I've experienced that. I know a lot of you have too. You're like, yeah, I'm saved. I've experienced that. I live in that daily. Good. Don't forget it. If you haven't, you can. If you have, live in it. Follow it. Be a person who's defined by it. You've heard the truth, guys. I've heard the truth. Your pastor, I've, I've heard the truth. I've studied this scripture for a couple weeks now. Looking at this passage, you know, I look over the years, I've got notes in here from other times I've preached it or something like that, or I was just studying it. I had different points, and when I read through it this time, I'm just like, I'm reminded and I'm prompted to know Jesus even more. It's not just a story. It's there to draw me closer to Christ. It's there to, to, to make me be who Christ wants me to be. That, that's, after all, what we're called to is to bring glory to God. And for us to bring glory to God, we need to know him more. What's our decision today? Are we going to just keep Christ at arm's length? Are we Are going to keep Christ as just knowledge? My job as a pastor is not just to educate you or make you more knowledgeable. Honestly, as, as a pastor, my job is to pull you closer to Jesus. Your job as a congregation, don't, you're not getting off of this either. You get to pull me across, closer to Jesus too. We're both called to help each other as the body of Christ to, to look like Jesus and to know Jesus more. It's the end of the sermon. Everybody say amen. It's the end of the sermon, but guys, it doesn't have to be the same. It may be the end of the sermon, but this could be the beginning of a new life for you. What McLeod needs and what this church needs is for the church to live in newness of life. 
So many of us were baptized years ago into newness of life. And we've let that stuff go bad. We're like that last banana you just refuse to eat and it turns brown. We've become that way spiritually. And Jesus is like, you know what? Walk with me and you can have new bananas. He doesn't say that. But you can have new life. This church, we, we can have new life today. Not for the glory of your pastor, not for the glory of the Southern Baptist Convention, but for the glory of Jesus Christ himself, the giver of new life. Amen? We're going to open these altars. If you need to come and pray today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today is that day. If that Holy Spirit of God is calling you today, say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to step out on faith and I'm going to ask Christ to be my Savior. Maybe you're a believer today and you're just like, you know what, I need to step up and be real. I need to step up and live a life that is truly, truly mirrored after Christ. I need to walk in that power. I need to be a person who doesn't just say I believe, but I live it. I don't say I believe in the light, but I am the light because I'm in the lights. Today can be a new beginning for us all. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you. What a good word that we have gotten out of John 8 today. Father, we are thankful for a Jesus who is the author of all this good stuff we've talked about today. And I think in our heart of hearts, if we would be honest, we would say we've kind of forgotten this. Maybe we know it. Maybe it's like material knowledge in our brain, but we don't live it. We don't walk by it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would walk these aisles today. Father, that you would empower your believers to leave this place different than when they came in. And Father, if there's anyone who hears this message at any time, God, that you will call them to salvation because I know that is your heart. That is your desire. Give these words to you, God. I pray that these words would go forth and do what they were intended to do. To you be the glory in your most holy name.